All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you all, whether you're here in person or on Zoom. Uh, man, I, I'm convinced that there is something sacred that happens as we gather together. And, uh, you know, this last year and a half has stretched us to imagine what that sacredness can look like. That can be in person or that can be digital or some strange mix of both. And yet, Darn it, I think there's something beautiful that happens when we do that. So uh, whatever way you're participating in that sacredness this morning, uh, whatever you're bringing to this sacredness this morning, um, thank you, because I I think we all add to this thing (laughs) that we're experiencing. Uh, This morning, uh, we are uh, jumping in uh, to our sermon series, uh, Stories of Old, uh, A Journey Through the Old Testament. The, The goal of this series and where we're headed at throughout this entire school year is uh, helping us understand the big, broad, arching narrative of Scripture. Uh, this is actually on a four-year cycle, so if you're like, holy cow, we jumped from Genesis to uh, Exodus, and then next week I think we're in First Samuel? Like, we're cruising, uh, but it's a four-year cycle, so hopefully at the end of four years we'll, we'll have all the pieces filled in. But the goal of this is to, to get a big, broad picture of uh, the story of scripture and helping us navigate our way throughout it. So uh, as we get ready to jump into the story for this morning, uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, uh, we are grateful for this chance to, to gather together. Um, we're grateful for the, the sacred holy thing that happens as we do so. And God, as we uh, gather together um, we pause to acknowledge that your spirit is here among us. And as we turn to the scriptures now, we, uh, we yield ourselves, we open ourselves, we submit ourselves to your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I have a confession to make. Uh, there was a moment... Earlier this summer, towards the beginning of summer, actually, um, where I had my first uh, week of like in-person things happening, but it was more than just a, my first f- first week filled with like in-person things. But my week was like full. My week was jam-packed with in-person things. Like the first time that I had a week filled with in-person things in over like a year and some odd months at this point. Now, key to this story is I'm a bit introverted by nature, and I need some time by myself. And so I didn't have that this week. (laughs) This week, we were meeting in person for worship. Uh, We had a book group that was meeting in person. I think I had a few lunch meetings. I had a few uh, commission meetings. I think I might have been getting coffee with a couple people. Like There was just so much happening in person in my life for the first time in well over a year. And in the middle of the week, I'm feeling exhausted. And a thought comes to mind of, Boy, quarantine was kind of nice, wasn't it? Now, before you like start throwing things at me, let me explain. Again, I'm a bit introverted, and so I need some space by myself. And after a year of having some space by myself, apparently I still needed some more, right? And so there was this, this, like, this whiplash almost of having so much time by myself to now being thrown into an environment where I was with people what felt like nonstop and constantly for an entire week. And it was really, really jarring, because for a year now, I had felt some, I had grown accustomed to this experience of quarantine. And this, even though like I had been hoping and praying for it to end day after day for over a year, there was something that was really well known about it, right? I knew how to exist in quarantine. Like, 
well, I do some work for the day and then I flip on Netflix because what else do you do, right? I knew uh, quarantine and there was something that was weirdly comforting about this thing that I hated, right? But now I found myself in, in this like strange and uncharted territory of I was unpracticed in this like experience of being with people. And as I began to like bump into some obstacles along the way in this like I kind of wanted to give it up, even though it was the thing that I'd been hoping for for a long time. Now, psychologists have a term for this experience that we as human beings have. They have a, a word for this like flare-up that can happen from time to time in our lives, and that is the word flesh-pot-itis. Okay, maybe not psychologists, but maybe me trying to be clever this past week. This word flesh-pot-itis. And again, I think this is what was happening in my life of recognizing that there was like something strange and bizarre that was happening in my life and like not sure how to handle it all. Now, uh, this, this term flesh potitis comes to us from Exodus chapter 16. So as we uh, try and navigate our way through that, let's turn to that story and see if we can make some sense of this uh, strange uh, reflection of what happens in my mind uh, Tuesday through Fridays. <laughs> So in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1, we read, The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Now that last phrase there is all the context that we need to know what's happening in this story. Because we're told this all takes place after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Now, if we remember the story of the Israelites well, what does the land of Egypt represent? The land of Egypt represents all of their oppression and all of their enslavement. Now, for something like 400 years, they found themselves in oppression and enslavement. They found themselves under the boot of the world superpower for 400 years. Now, there's something fascinating uh, that has been uh, coming out in actual like psychological circles, not, you know, Sean pretending to be a psychologist and making up terms. But uh, this, this thing that's fascinating um, is this recognition that, like, um, trauma that we can experience, even if it's, like, mental or emotional, can begin to show up in, like, our, our physical bodies. Like, there can be some sort of physical manifestation of, like, the trauma that we experience in life, and it's almost like a weight that we begin to carry. Even more fascinating than this is I've uh, begun to read a number of black authors who have talked about this experience, but have recognized that there's something almost generational about this. And that uh, in their own lives, they recognize not just the weight of the, their own personal trauma, but the trauma of generations prior who experienced the reality of uh, slavery in the American South. Which means that not only do we carry trauma that we experience, but, it's put, but there is the possibility that we could carry something like generational trauma in our lives. Now, if this is true for us in modern day, I think that this most certainly could have been true for the Israelites. And so, as the whole congregation finds themselves now in the wilderness of sin, we recognize not only are they carrying like an embodied sort of trauma, those who had like personally experienced the oppression and the enslavement, but this whole congregation is carrying something like a generationally embodied trauma. The generational effects of the trauma that they had experienced for 400 years living under the oppressive and enslavement, uh, the oppressive boot of the enslavement to Egypt. And so this whole congregation is carrying all of this, and they come to the, the wilderness of sin. 
Now, the, the noting of this location is a really fascinating one, not because it's the wilderness of sin and this is like representing Las Vegas as Sin City or something like that, but the wilderness of sin and sin aren't actually connected in any way here. But the fact that like, they find themselves in the wilderness is an interesting one. Because the wilderness is uh, most certainly like this literal place, right? A, a desert place, a place of like barrenness. And yet, I think as we read this story, like, we're invited to see it metaphorically. To see it as like a wilderness experience for them, a deserted space for them, like a, a, a place of desert in their lives. A place that's like uh, one of disorientation, one of discomfort, one of confusion, one of chaos, one of uneasiness, one of just simply like feeling lost. Now what's fascinating about this is we remember that the Israelites are fleeing from Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. Meaning that the Israelites are, are, are running from oppression and enslavement into something like liberation. And for them to get from their oppression into their liberation, the desert is the channel through which they must go. Which means that even though they find themselves in this discomfort and find themselves in this disorientation, that this is like what it takes to move from something like oppression into something like liberation. Perhaps uh, we have experienced this in our own lives even. Um, perhaps we've had some sort of habit, like let's say social media, right? Uh, maybe we've gotten to a place where we recognize that social media is like kind of consuming our life. We recognize that maybe we, any sort of free time that we have in our, our life, we immediately reach for our phone and just start doing the endless sort of scrolling to the point that I don't have time to process what's going on in my life. Sorry, we don't have time to process what's going on in our life. And so maybe we decide like we're just going to cut cold turkey, right? We find ourselves in oppression to social media, and so we want to move into a life of being free from social media. And now as we sit in the doctor's office and we want to reach for our phone, we just feel ourselves doing this, right? Because we don't know how to sit in this place of the desert. It's a place of discomfort. It's a place of um, disorientation. But we know that we have to sit in this, pla this place if we're going to move from oppression into liberation, from a place of being plagued into a place of wholeness. And so the Israelites find themselves in this wilderness of sin. And then we're told that the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now we get to the part of the story that we're probably familiar with, the grumbling and complaining of those Israelites, right? Now, they don't get a fair rap on this, right? I mean, I will admit, like, I've even taken some pod shots at them in, in some sermons of like, oh, look at their fickleness, look at their grumbling, look at their complaining. They're just wandering around in the desert. My goodness, like, they have an absolute right to grumble and complain. I ran a 5K yesterday, and you know what I did when I came home? I grumbled and complained, right? <laughs> yes, they witnessed this great big miracle of God freeing them from the world's superpower, and yet they're here grumbling and complaining. And let me tell you, I witnessed a miracle as I crossed that finish line, and yet I I come home and I start grumbling and complaining about it, right? So let's get, let them off the hook here, right? I think their grumbling and complaining is like, you know, kind of justified. In fact, I don't think the grumbling and complaining is the issue with this story. I think the issue with this story is the allegation that they throw out. It's not so much the, the issue of their, their grumbling and complaining, like I think God gets that, right? 
But I think the issue in this story is the allegations that they throw out, because the allegation that they throw out is that life was better in Egypt. The allegation that they throw out is that in Egypt we were sitting by the flesh pots. Again, not a word we use often. Flesh pot is essentially what it sounds like, a, a pot full of, hopefully animal flesh, right? It's a pot full of, of meat, right? Like it, it, it's, it's like all that we can eat. It's like more than we could imagine, right? And this idea of flesh pot has, has merged beyond just like a pot full of meat and has like represented the symbolism of having a pot full of meat. And it's begun to like define something like um, uh, pertaining to a luxurious or hedonistic lifestyle, <laughs> or pertaining to something like a bodily comfort. Now you tell me, 400 years of oppression and enslavement, were they sitting by flesh pots? <laughs> were they pertaining to a luxurious or hedonistic lifestyle? No, absolutely not. So what gives? Well, in my unprofessional opinion here, I think they done gone got themselves a case of flesh potitis. <laughs> Now, here's what we mean by flesh pot-itis. We mean a willingness to exchange the obstacles of the present for the oppression of the past. Flesh pot-itis is a willingness to exchange the, the, the obstacles of the present, the things that we're dealing with, for the oppression of the past. And I think this is all the more true when the oppression of the past was something that we had experienced for a long time when it became our new normal, if you will. And there's something strange that happens in our mind of when we begin to know something, when something is familiar, when, when we, we know what to expect with it, even if it is the most painful thing in the world, there's something comforting about it. Because we know what to expect. But when we experience something new, even if that newness is goodness, it can feel really uncomfortable because we don't always know what to expect with it. And so because of this, we sometimes have a willingness to exchange the obstacles of the present, which is unknown and may not feel totally comfortable, for the oppression of the past, which is known, and in some strange, bizarre way can feel a bit comfortable. So for the Israelites, for example, they were willing to exchange the desert for Egypt, which is to say they were willing to exchange liberation and some of the obstacles that came up in the way of this pursuit of liberation for the oppression of their past, that is, enslavement. For me, I was willing to exchange this thing that I had been hoping for and praying for for over a year, and that is to be face-to-face -face with somebody rather than on Zoom, <laughs> And yet, when I began to feel some of the obstacles bumping into the way of that, this, this new, new normal? I don't know how to parse all of that one out, but this, this new, new normal of returning back to the old normal felt really uncomfortable, and I was willing to exchange the, the present obstacles for that oppression of the past of living in quarantine. Uh, I see this often in my life, too, with um, uh, when things get like challenging in life, for whatever reason, I tend to hear like a, a song from high school on the radio. And I start to get a little nostalgic. And I'm like, man, high school. Those were the days, man. But if you know anything about my story of high school, them weren't the days, were they? <laughs> that involved caring for and burying both of my parents. 
Those were not the days. That was an oppression of the past. But there are times when I bump into the obstacles of the present that I can romanticize the past. And I am willing to exchange the obstacles of the present for the oppression of the past. Perhaps you experience this in your own life too. Perhaps you find yourself in a new job and like you're just running into some, some challenges with it. Maybe like the deadlines feel different. Maybe the demands on it are different. Maybe there's some conflict that we're experiencing in it. And it's easy to like on Wednesday afternoon at like four o'clock when the clock just seems stuck to like long for that old job back. Except for the fact that we forgot that not only were we in conflict with one person, but we were in conflict with everybody in that person. We had to work terrible hours nonstop. Our salary was terrible and our benefits were garbage. But <laughs> we got a case of flesh potitis four o'clock on Wednesday and we're willing to exchange the, the present obstacles for the oppression of the past. Or perhaps we notice this with relationships even. Perhaps we found ourselves at one point in time in the midst of a really terrible relationship, whether that be a friend, whether that be a family member, whether that be a significant other. And this relationship was toxic for us. This relationship was destructive for us. And all that we had longed for was the, to be able to step out of that relationship and to experience the liberation from that relationship but now we step into this unknown, uncharted territory that can feel rather uncomfortable without this relationship in our life. And we can begin to like long to step back across these now well-established boundaries back into that relationship. There's something about exchanging the, 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 the unknown of liberation for the knownness of oppression. Or perhaps lastly, uh, maybe we can even experience this with like life and community. If you've ever like, attempted to live life in community, <laughs> you know it gets messy, right? Because as many uh, people there are in this room, there are just as many opinions and thoughts about how we should go about our shared life together. And we can quickly run into present obstacles within this community. And we can begin to romanticize past communities and the desire to like, move back into these past communities. And we forget that like, there's a reason why we left those communities. In some way, we evolved past those communities. In some ways, those communities felt like they were squelching our gifts, our talents. We began to ask questions that those communities weren't prepared for us to ask. But we got a case of flesh potitis along the way. Now, I think God's response to uh, the Israelites in all of this is so incredibly uh, gracious and generous. And even more than that, I think it's really wise. Because in verse 4, we're told, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. I think the key to this, this wise and gracious uh, gift of God is the phrase, each day. God indeed uh, um, uh, uh, provides for the Israelites, but this provision seems to be on this like each day basis. Um, I think it's worth noting that it's like each day, it's this day, it's today's bread. It's not yesterday's bread <laughs> or tomorrow's bread or last week's bread or next week's bread, but it's today's bread. I don't know about you, but I have enough trouble like keeping track of today. Uh, <laughs> 
Some, t- some days about noon, like my head is starting to spin because of all that I have going on, and I have a hard time keeping track of it, let alone like trying to think about yesterday, tomorrow, last week, next week. The what-ifs begin to fill my life of like, what if I had or hadn't said that? What if I had or hadn't done that? Or what if this had or hadn't happened in my life? Like trying to think beyond today can be really, really dizzying for me. And I think God offers a gift of rooting them in this moment and each day, grounding them uh, in the gift of each day. Uh, there's a, a Jesuit priest by the name of Greg Boyle, and uh, he's the director of, uh, and founder of Homeboy Industries, like the, the world's largest gang intervention uh, organization. And he was, uh, in the last couple of years, on a podcast called On Being with Krista Tippett. And uh, in this uh, podcast, um, uh, Krista Tippett talks about uh, Father Boyle's um, encounter with leukemia. And in doing some reading about his life, um, she, she knew that he, he found himself uh, enlightened throughout this process. And, and she said, you, you found something through reading the, fa- the, the desert fathers and mothers, right? These ancient writers in the way of Jesus. His response to her was, yeah, whenever the desert fathers and mothers would get absolutely despondent and didn't know how they were going to put one foot in front of the next, they had this mantra. And the mantra wasn't God, and the, and the word wasn't Jesus, but the word was today. And that's sort of the key. Uh, he goes on, he says that there's a playoff Broadway right now called Now Hear This. And that's kind of my, that's, that's become my mantra I'm big on mantras, so when I'm walking or before a kid comes into my office, I always say, now hear this, now hear this, so that I'll be present and right here to, and right here to the person in front of me. Now hear this. It's beautiful. I think it's worth noting that it's not then, there, that. <laughs> it's not yesterday, it's not tomorrow. It's not last week, it's not next week, but it's now, here, this. So I think when we allow ourselves to get caught up in then, there, that, we're prone to flesh pot-itis. <laughs> but when we allow ourselves to be caught up in now, here, this, we, can, we, we begin to be prone towards something like gratitude and groundedness. And I think that this is perhaps uh, the wisdom of Jesus that we see in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount when he instructs us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Again, it's not to pray for yesterday's bread. It's not to pray for tomorrow's bread. It's not to pray for last week's bread or next week's bread, but it's to pray for this day's bread. Because to lack this day's bread is to romanticize a past oppression. Um, But to pray for uh, more than today's bread, to pray for future bread, is to recreate the oppression of the past for others to protect our wealth, our uh, surplus, our excess. And so Jesus says not to do any of that, but to pray for this daily bread, for this moment right here. So in this week ahead, as we get a nasty case of the, the flesh pot-itis flaring up from time to time, I want to suggest the wisdom of Father Boyle and take this as a mantra for ourselves of now, here, this. In whatever way we can, to, to reject like the then, there, that sort of mantra, but to root ourselves in now, here, this. At the end of the story in Exodus 16, uh, there's this, this funny, almost like ironic sort of uh, interaction. 
the Israelites uh, come to this bread that God provides, and they call it manna. Now, in the Hebrew, the word manna is really similar to a phrase that can be translated, what is it? <laughs> they call it, what is it, bread? And I think there's something profound here. Like, we don't always recognize the gift of God, do we? And I think now, here, this is a gift of God that we can often forget. And so this week, as flesh potitis creeps into our life, my prayer for us is that we can cling to this phrase, now, here, this, to remind ourselves to recognize of the gift that is this moment, the gift that is this conversation, the gift that is this person, the gift that is this interaction, the gift that is this breath. Let's pray. Loving God, uh, we're grateful for the gift of Scripture and the gift uh, that is all of these strange stories that we can find ourselves in. Because I think we can learn something about ourselves. God, thank you uh, in the midst of flesh potitis that you uh, respond um, so graciously, so generously, and so uh, full of wisdom. And that you remind us uh, that you provide for each day. When we find ourselves in these moments of discomfort or disorientation, when we find ourselves in the desert, that um, you're there for us. You provide for us. And so God, um, may we cling to this mantra, now hear this. May we be rooted, may we be grounded in this moment. And recognize that, um, that now, that here, that this is indeed a profound gift of your provision in our life. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.